This is Science Drives and Wellness Steers, Season 2. I'm your host, Allie. When I was in school, the most unhelpful and frequent thing I was told was she'd do so great if she just focused. The thing I never heard was how to focus. So I've dedicated my career to helping parents and educators do better. Moving from just pay attention to let me teach you how to pay attention. Let me teach you how to harness the superpowers of your brain. I've been the clinical director and therapist for Magnificent Minds for over a decade and have been supporting teachers, parents, and therapists of neurodivergent kiddos for even longer. Professionally, I'm admittedly an eclectic mix with formal training in counseling psychology and behavioral sciences. I don't fit neatly into a box, which I guess is something I have in common with the spectacularly unique kiddos I support. I combine my love of science with my connection to the pursuit of wellness and find myself at the midpoint of behavioral science and mental health, looking through the lens of neurodiversity. I'm a hippie at heart, avoiding pseudoscience, gluten, and ableism. I'm a political advocate and a passionate writer who is not afraid to have hard conversations. I'm a sometimes all over the place, not always put together mom of three, entrepreneur, and a wife who was voted most likely to speak out of turn in just about every year of elementary school, which surprises no one who knows me. You can look up my business at magnificentminds.ca or do a full social media stalking on Instagram at magminds, on TikTok at therapymagminds, on my blog, of course in my podcast, or even sign up to receive monthly updates via my newsletter. But don't worry, spam isn't my jam. Thanks for taking a bit of time and joining my community. I look forward to going on this journey with you. Today, I'm talking to Ahuba, a registered dietitian, practices in Ontario, a fellow woman in science, a mom of three, a passionate advocate for healthy eating practices, how to develop healthy relationships with food and your kids, and how to get your kids eating all kinds of different foods in a way that recognizes the collaborative relationship that works best in a neurodivergent population, but also, frankly, just in the general population. So Ahuva is going to talk to us today about how to maximize buy-in from your kids when it comes to different kinds of food, and she's also going to blow your mind a little bit about why some of our neurodivergent kids have preferences for standardized items that you know, are pre-made that look and feel the same every time they consume consume them, like, you know, your favorite brand of, you know, cheddar fish crackers or what have you. So she's going to blow your mind with that. She's going to blow your mind with talking about the division of responsibility and talking about the different roles that we each play in the mealtime experience. And in particular, she's going to focus on how to make the mealtime experience collaborative, where we each show up with our own roles or jobs. We do our job and we leave it at the table and we limit stress and we limit overwhelm and we limit ultimately trying to coerce our kids to take one more bite or three more bites or really just govern and police the way that they consume food. So she is armed with science-backed strategies. She is armed with a wealth of experience, knowledge, education, 
all the goods, and she's been helping families of neurodivergent kids and neurotypical kids and all kinds of families of all different shapes and sizes, and she is here today to help all of you work through your picky eating, your you know nutrition questions, and how to elicit a healthy relationship with food and your kids ditch that guilt associated with food, ditch the values-based statements, ditch the diet culture, and move forward from a place of total empowerment. Let's do it. Hey, oh, this is so exciting. I feel like I'm meeting you for the first time, but I also feel like I know you because that's how IG goes. Totally, for sure. How's everything? Cannot complain. How are you? So, so good. I hear your little one, and it sounds really adorable, but... I honestly, I feel like I was just in the newborn phase. So as much as usually that would make my uterus like really hurt and need more babies in this moment, I'm like sighing a sigh of relief. <laughs> I think like for the first, I mean, we had twins last time and like for the first like two years, um, I was like, please don't have me any babies. I'm just, <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah, you're like all this. the babies. <laughs> I've had all the babies. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Okay, well, thank you so much for wanting to do this with me. I'm super my psyched pleasure. because like, there's so much overlap between the science of nutrition and the science of kids, mental health, all that good stuff. So yeah. before we really dive in, how about you just give like a brief rundown? Who are you? Where do we find you on social media? And then do like a little humble brag about all the cool shit you're up to. Sure. Uh, so... I'm Ahuva. I'm a registered dietitian and a parent mealtime coach, and I work with families to um, create really solid food foundations so that we can build healthy eating habits for everyone in the family, ditch the mealtime stress, and raise intuitive eaters. Um, I do that in both one-on-one uh, coaching and in a group coaching program that I run. I also run a free community on Facebook for parents. We have about 2,000 uh, parents who join, and it's really just a space for you know us to share our feeding challenges, feeding wins, and learn together. And that's the Busy Mom's Guide to Feeding Your Family. And I spend lots of time on Instagram as well, uh, sharing free content and really um, making ridiculous reels. <laughs> <laughs> making ridiculous reels isn't that just what we all do right now in COVID times nothing like, else to do I'm like I can educate through making a fool of myself this is fantastic it's basically <laughs> what I do all day every day and totally yeah that's that's awesome um I feel like the making a fool of yourself part is is the best part because totally. you know it's it's the most important thing um especially because it makes you more relatable and when you're you know giving information and teaching it's like you, you got to be relatable or else who cares totally 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 um Love it. Well, that's really exciting. I did not know about your Facebook group. So I will definitely yeah. um, find it and join it. And I will also uh, share it with my community on Facebook and all the other good places. Perfect. Um, so yay. Um, obviously, as you know, my community are mostly parents of neurodivergent kids, yes. autism, ADHD, anxiety, all the good colorful stuff. So why don't you talk a little bit about your approach when it comes to food and neurodivergent kids or honestly even just like kids with sensory needs and all of that and then from there I've got so many questions and I want to hear all your thoughts so I think I think that it's important to remember that um there there's you know various approaches that we that we sort of take but I think that that one of the the things that I you know if, if parents learn nothing else from you know us recording this is that sometimes uh you know whether it's um, working with child with with 
ADHD or an autistic child is sometimes parents are like, oh, it's just the, you know, neurodivergence that this is, this is why this feeding is happening, or this is why things are stressful, um, or this is sort of why feeding is going in this way. And mm-hmm. yes, you know, there's, um, there can be a lot of nuance in approaches, but feeding can still be a really positive thing, right? Sometimes parents come to me and they're like, well, that's, it's just why and it's not going to change. Right. Um, and that's not at all the case. Um, you know, feeding is a long-term goal. There are some things that, you know, that, um, I'm trying to think, you know, something that, that might be like, oh, we're going to learn this in a day. I don't really think children learn anything in a day, to be honest, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, feeding is a long-term goal and um, it's slow and it's a process, but, um, you know, there's nothing about any specific diagnosis or, um, you know, like different colors that you were saying that makes uh, feeding not able to be a positive environment, if that makes sense. For sure. No, I think that's really important. And I also, like, you know, I hear that a lot in the work that I do as well, where people say, well, you know, they have that behavior because they have autism or they have this because they have ADHD. And like, yes, for sure that, you know, that's a part of it, but it doesn't mean that with our, you know, neurodivergence that we can't still learn. A thousand percent. Um, And food is all about learning, right? All about like learning new textures, learning new flavors, learning all that good stuff. Um, I love that. That's so important. Um, So what I am just like dying to pick your brain about is, so I just did a training for my staff and one of the things I talk to my teachers about is this idea of classifying food as healthy versus unhealthy which is something that the Ministry of Education sort of puts in their kindergarten and up curriculum of course and I have big big problems with that yes and so I I mean it's hard because we want to follow the curriculum documents so that our kiddos are on par with other kiddos in you know other traditional school environments but there's like massive problems with classifying food as healthy and unhealthy yes. especially for kids who are like linear and black and white Very, as yes, a lot yes. of my kids are yeah so tell me all the things about that and why that's not a good way to do it so first of all um there's a lot of dietitians who are advocating for changing that curriculum in and of itself in that we want to be teaching about food there's a lot that can go into you know, food education. Let's expand our kids' knowledge about different foods. Maybe there's fruits and vegetables they didn't even know existed, um, you know, children in in all curriculums. Um, and as opposed to this sort of like healthy or unhealthy, nutrition education is inappropriate for kids in general until they reach uh, tween years. Yeah. Because there's there's science behind yes. that. Like what yeah. why are we ignoring exactly. that? Exactly. Like we don't we don't educate. I actually um would in would tell parents and advocate for like not talking about any nutrition education until your child is 11, 12, uh, you know, sort of the older ages where they can start to understand nuance. Because for sure, you know, when I say, and I talk about this with with parents in a lot of different ways, right? If my kids um, ask me, like, can we have a snack? And I just say, no, they don't, they're not going to start computing in their brains. Like, you know, they're four years old that, that, you know, maybe we'll have a snack in an hour or maybe they hear like never, right? There's now or there's never. Um, And so very much here, healthy or unhealthy. And I think that that we're starting to sort of move away from those words. And unfortunately, um, the work isn't done in terms of replacing them with things that don't also just mean healthy or unhealthy, right? 
good or bad yeah, foods, yeah. always and sometimes foods, yes, uh, green light, exactly. yellow light, red light, if you've heard you know any of those kind of things. So ideally, we wouldn't yeah. be educating parents or kids about healthy, especially, I would say, for kids who have sensory challenges, because a lot of the foods that are comfortable for them and a lot of foods that are um, acceptable are foods that might find their way onto the not healthy list. Right. Yeah. Um, goldfish, not the most nutrient dense food, but those are right. some of the foods that they're standard every single time. Every goldfish you, you pull out of the bag, every cracker you pull out of the bag, yeah. every processed item is going to be the same. And so that yeah. for a lot of kids who have, um, you know, uh, sensory challenges, it's going to be predictable and it's going to be safe. And so yeah, now no, you're that's telling that's children, such a good point. Yeah. And now you're telling children their safe food is bad. And what does that say about me as a child if my food is bad? Am I bad? Right? Um, and so that's really why, uh, you know, healthy and unhealthy is not my f- educating. Um, but, you know, using the Canada's Food Guide plate and just sort of like exploring, gee, did you even know that this was a food? Did you even know that this was a fruit or vegetable or this is where this grows? All of that kind of education is fantastic for kids at that age. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And it's funny because... Um, it's like there's these common misconceptions about food, like, oh, pizza, pizza's unhealthy. But the other, like, my kids love pizza. And the other day they were like, oh, but pizza's, you know, unhealthy, so we shouldn't eat it a lot. And I was like, well, tell me why it's unhealthy. Right. You're like, I oh, like, hey, now. Right. I was like, well, I mean, it has dairy. It actually has one of my kids is dairy free and the other one isn't so I'm like oh yours has like plant-based protein and yours has like dairy and dairy's good is dairy good they're like yeah dairy's good I'm like oh it has tomatoes and vegetables are those good oh yeah those are good I'm like hey so what about it is unhealthy then like you know and they can't come up with the answer because I don't get it um but I obviously we're not going to talk about saturated saturated fats and trans fats not like they don't get that no but I think it also goes back um to how we talk about health right um, if you know, when we're talking about food, if we're only ever talking about the food that keeps arguably sure, if you want to talk about, you know, just chicken and rice and broccoli, keep your body, you know, your, your physical body a bit, um, healthier than eating, you know, a tub of ice cream for every single meal. Right. Sure. But there's also mental health to consider. There's also, uh, emotional health to consider, right? Like birthday cake on your birthday is really healthy for, you know, you're, um, emotional family bonding, all of those kind of things. For sure. And so there's, there's, I think that the way that we talk about health is very um, old school, for lack of a yeah. better term. And physical health isn't the only thing that we need to consider when we're talking about these things, right? Um, it, it's so, yeah, it's so true. And it's like, it's like the dose that makes the poison too, right? Like for sure. water, water's healthy, but you can drown from water. Exactly. <laughs> like right. it's not, it's not so black and white. Like you can't only have water because water is healthy. Like it right. doesn't. If your child yeah, only ate broccoli for every single day for the rest of their life, they'd right. probably not be very well off, right? right so right, right. not, not everything, sure everything sort of has to be taken in context. Yes, I love that. That's such a good point. And especially for our kids who really like predictability. Like I think my mm-hmm. husband, um, when we first started, you know, dating was like, oh, I don't, I don't eat blueberries. I honestly don't eat a lot of fruit because it's so unpredictable. And right. I was like, and what? I, and I totally I like never that. thought about that, but yeah, exactly. Right. And then I thought about it and I was like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. Like you're... <laughs> one blueberry is really good and sweet and the next yeah. one's really bad. And then you go for the next one because you're like, it's a crapshoot. It's like playing the lottery. I don't go, I don't eat blueberries. So your husband and I would be friends. I don't eat berries yeah. because they don't taste the way that I imagine them tasting. And that bothers yeah. me. Like sometimes when I see a, a strawberry, exactly. And it's so red and you're like, you have this image in your head 
of what it's going to taste like. And then sometimes you have it and it's just blend or it doesn't taste right. like that. And I'm like, eh. it didn't, right. it, it didn't, it didn't match my expectation. And that upsets me for sure. It's so disappointing. And then the other yeah. thing is when you're a kid with sensory sensitivities, if you're over responsive, you like get a sour fruit and it like literally assaults your senses. Yes. A thousand percent. So, for sure. And then that's just like a punishment procedure, right? Like you're just never going to go for one again. Right. Um, no, that's, that makes complete sense. Okay. I have another question for you. Yes. So we're talking about overcoming constant snacking. So yes. a lot of the, the parents that I support have kids who want what they want when they want it. Yeah. Um, because they're kids, but also, like you said, it's now or never. So if you tell them, you know, not now, it's like, oh God, I'm never eating again. Yeah. Um, but these are, you know, these are kids who have really big behaviors around not getting what they want when they want it. So what do you suggest and how do you support families like that when it comes to creating routines around that? Um, my favorite tool actually is for, for in that scenario for a lot of kids is using a visual schedule yeah. uh, to sort of, you know, avoid the now or never situation. So it yeah. just, you know, it helps whether it's in writing, depending on how old your child is, um, or, you know, using pictures of we're going to do this and then we're going to have a snack and maybe to start out with, you know, that, um, that, uh, you know, time frame is like a five minute wait. For, for kids right. who are, you know, even younger or who really, you know, can have big behaviors when, um, when they're, you know, waiting for a while and then slowly, you know, adding in um, activities that are going to be a bit longer so that we are moving more towards, ideally we would, it would be, you know, eating is every two to three hours. That might right. not be where your family is at or where, you know, kids are at if they're really, you know, snacking every you know, constantly, which I'm hearing more and more in with families yeah. at home that that is happening. Um, yeah. But it's so, you know, adding in activities that are five minutes and then 10 minutes that you can really go back to the schedule and say, we're going to do this. And then we're going to do this again, bring, bringing back that predictability of, you know, it's not now or never. It's just after this book that we're going to read so that kids can start to get used to the idea that, um, that, you know, these things are going to happen and then snack time is going to happen. Yeah, that makes total sense. That's essentially how we teach waiting yeah. in a lot of different situations, mm -hmm. right? And that's essentially what this is, is like, it's delaying. It's not saying never. It's exactly. Like not right in this moment. And also not like every time you're bored or you're not really sure what to do. Yeah. Because I find that too. Like my kids, when they're at home, I'm like, sorry, guys, like no iPad. And they're like, okay, well, I'm hungry. And I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> you just <laughs> don't have the iPad. And you're like, what do I, what yeah, do, I do with Exactly. Myself? Exactly. <laughs> um. <laughs> But I mean, I feel like as grownups, we sometimes do that too. Like my kids go to bed and I'm like, all right. And that's the cue for me to go find a snack. Right. Because um, I can. Yeah, totally. Um, but obviously. And then your kids come out of bed and they're like, you know, what are you eating? And you're oh like, God, nothing. Literally. <laughs> no, the funniest is like every time my son wakes up first, he'll find like a wrapper that my husband ate the night before. Ugh. And I like literally just saw something on Instagram about this. And it's like, it, it's a riot because he's like, you had a midnight snack. Yeah. And then it's this whole dialogue about like why we can have midnight snacks, but they can't. And we're trying to like avoid the whole values based, you know, dialogue. We're just like, no, we were just, we were awake. Yeah. So we were awake and yeah. then we were hungry and yeah. then we had a snack, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and not to make it like a, we, we, you know, we save all the good stuff for when you're sleeping, which we, we do, totally. but we don't want to tell them that. We can't tell them that yet. <laughs> um, oh, that's so funny. Um, okay, so um, I am obsessed with science yeah. and the practical applications of science. So I would love for you to talk about division of responsibility and the science behind it and why it's important for healthy relationships with food and our kids.
Did I lose you? Oh no, I think I lost you. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but did you know that you can grab resources I've created for supporting development, behavior, and mental health, and even completely downloadable training programs by heading to my website? Head to magnificentminds.ca and click Parent Corner. There you can check out downloadable resources and even register for virtual masterclasses like Parenting and Autism or Parenting and ADHD. All right, now that I'm certain you're not missing out on anything, let's hop back into this episode. Are you back? Yeah. Yay. Okay. I don't know. That's really weird. That's never happened before. Um, anyway, as I was saying, I think, uh, I think our uh, connection got overstimulated by my passion exactly. for science. What can I say? <laughs> um, okay. So talk about the science behind division of responsibility and why it's super important for healthy relationships. Completely. Uh, so for people who are not uh, familiar, the division of responsibility is sort of a framework that was coined by Ellen um, Satter, who is a, who's a, dietitian in the 80s. So I always say it's like the only thing in, in the fields of nutrition that has lasted 40 years. So if you're going to trust one thing, <laughs> it should be this. Um, and really, it's a framework for raising intuitive eaters. And intuitive eating um, is, is it sounds really simple when we sort of say it, and it's actually very difficult. It's sort of a framework where we uh, recommend, you know, eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full, uh, taking away sort of those moral judgments around food. So there's no good or bad food. There is just food. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's 10 principles that I'm not going to go into all of them right now. Um, but it's essentially, you know, healthy eating without all of the you know, diet culture that goes into it. We have to weigh a certain amount. We have to look a certain way. We have to all of those kind of things. Or, um, you know, taking away all of the marketing of, you know, food and chocolate bars in every single aisle that, that, you know, we see. So we're constantly bombarded with those kind of things. And what we're really working towards with children is teaching them how to uh, honor their hunger. So the division of responsibility outlines our, what our roles are as parents at mealtime and what our kids uh, response at mealtime. And I think sometimes when I'm working with parents, it's news to them that their kids have responsibilities at mealtime. Uh, Cause that sort of sounds like a funny like a funny thing, you know, my child is two months old or three months old or a year old or six years old, and they have something they have to be doing. Yeah, but what they, our responsibilities are is to create some sort of structure in the day. So deciding when the meals are going to happen, where we're going to have them. So are we eating picnic style or do we eat at the dining room table? Um, you know, where is that happening? And um, what is going to be for the meals? So, you know, whatever that's going to look like. If you want it to be ice cream, great. If you want it to be a salad, that's also great. And, um, you know, to have that on, on a predictable schedule and our children's job is to decide if they want to eat and how much they want to eat. So when they come to the table, they can decide that for any item that's on the table, they can decide they don't want to eat anything. They can decide they want to eat tons. They can decide they only want to eat, um, one item. And, and that's really, you know, what their responsibility is. And a lot of uh, picky eating and a lot of restricted eating that we see tends to sort of manifest itself when, um, you know, when the division of responsibility ends up a bit skewed. So when parents sort of start taking the responsibilities of the kids and the kids start taking the responsibilities of the parents. 
Right. So it's like, yeah. So it's like three more bites and then you can add dessert or. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I often um, say that, you know, yeah, go ahead. I often say that like, you know, if I just, if I just wanted my kids to, to eat a lot, I just serve them pizza in front of Paw Patrol every single day. Right. And uh, we'd have no problems. <laughs> right. Right. No, honestly, that's, that's totally fair. And it's funny because, well, no, it's not funny. It's terrible because when I, you know, I grew up in the nineties and <laughs> our knowledge of food was not what it is now. And even the way that we, you know, we parent around food and maybe that's not because of the nineties, maybe that's just like the different households that, you know, I grew up in and my husband grew up in, but you know, he grew up in households where you finish what's on your plate. Like you, you don't leave until you finish. Yeah. Um, I didn't grow up in a house like that, but I definitely grew up in a house where it was always like, you know, lots of things presented and very, very different and, and not exactly division of responsibility, but definitely not um, mm-hmm. quite as to the extreme as what my husband grew up in. And we like really trying to, yes, their responsibility is to decide what they eat and how much of it, but what point do we have to weigh our responsibility to make sure that they're getting enough nutrients? Right you now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think that's, that's one of the biggest stressors is how do I know that my child is getting enough? Um, right. And I think that the problem is for a lot of parents is recognizing that you're, when it comes to feeding, your, your child is just a stranger, right? Right. Like it's just another person's body. And I think there's a lot of pressure that parents feel um, to sort of know outside of the fact that, that, that definitely there is, you know, if your child will only eat one food or, um, you know, two foods, there is, there is definitely, you know, more to talk about in terms of like, sure. are they possibly not getting in, enough? Right. Um, but, you know, we don't assume that other strangers or other adults that we can just know if they're hungry or if they're full or if they've eaten enough of a certain food, right? And right. Uh, it's really hard to do that with our kids' bodies also, but parents feel a lot of pressure that, you know, we should because we're their parent. Right. Yeah. And, you know, for me, the other thing that's taken a bit of a burden off of it is the idea that my kid doesn't need to have a certain, like, you know, recommended serving at every single meal. Right. Your picture. Yeah. Like, you know, this week they ate lots of veggies. They ate lots of fruit. Okay. At this meal right now, like it's, you know, close to bedtime and my three, three-year-old is a disaster and he ate French fries. Like, okay. Like I could push it and like make him eat the broccoli, but at the same time, he's deciding what he's eating. He's a shit show because he needs to go to bed and he yeah. had vegetables this week. So like, we're good. Right. For sure. You know, when we talk about sort of balanced meals for adults, like half a plate of vegetables, a quarter plate of protein, right? kids tend to do that over days, weeks, and months, right? not over the course of meals. And when we talk about adults, for sure, I think that that's definitely, you know, why it's a lot more difficult for parents also is because when we talk about, you know, like healthy eating for adults, yeah. it's, you know, half a plate of vegetables, every single meal, as you're, as you're sort of saying, you know, my kids, like sometimes again, like it'll be like one day where they eat a ton of a protein food. The next day it's, you know, a ton of a yeah. uh, carbohydrate food. Who are we kidding? They do the carbohydrate foods every day. Um, right, all the time. <laughs> but the, the, you know, the, the next day they eat tons of vegetables and they've made that plate. It just took a heck of a lot longer than it may have taken me to build that plate. And it can be very right. confusing for a lot of parents for sure. Right. And I think when you kind of let go of that, like need to control that, you start getting less control behavior from your kids. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's more collaborative and, you know, they don't feel like they need to, I don't know, refuse well, to try something because like you're not going to let up or whatever. Kids are told a lot of times, like so many times in the day what they're going to do. Right. Yeah. Um, the example that I always give is like, you know, in Toronto, it's snowing right now. 
if my kids were like, we want to wear shorts and t-shirts to daycare, I'd be like, that's cool. Too bad. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. We're, you're not yeah. doing that. Yeah. Thanks and, so much for letting me know what yeah. you want. It's going to be a no. <laughs> that's great. Like, overruled. Yeah. Um, yeah. And mealtime and food tends to be one of those places where kids can really exhibit control. And yeah. so parents sometimes are like, why are my, why is my child fighting me like tooth and nail on this? They will put their foot down and they will put it down hard. And as yeah. a parent, I can promise you, if you get into a battle with your child at a meal, you will lose a hundred percent of the time because they yeah. will fight you like so hard on that because they have very few other, uh, opportunities to express and, you know, really gain control in the day. And that's just the reality of, of being children. And so parents sometimes are like, I don't get why my child is having these big behaviors around mealtime or why, um, you know, it's such a battle or why they really want to fight so hard. And sometimes that's why when you start chipping away at their control at the one place they can have it, like they're going to take it back. I, I totally agree with you. And I think when you, when it comes to motivating kids, anytime you try to do it because I said so, yeah. you're going to end up, no matter what it is, you're going to end up in a, you know, a control battle. What do you think about using not using food as a bribe or a reinforcer, but using food as like an experience. So like, it's fun. We're playing a game. We're going to see who can crunch the loudest on their celery because maybe then they'll be more, you know, inclined to eat it. Or yeah. like in my house, we do, we do freeze peas. Oh, are you still there? Yeah. It's giving me a weird connection message. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, you can't. Okay. Sorry. It's giving me a weird disconnected message. It might, uh, boot us off again anyway we do freeze peas so like my kids eat their peas and every like I don't know fifth or sixth on a random whatever rotation my husband freezes because they're freeze peas okay and then they're like gonna gobble up all their peas because like he's back yay the storm is like just sad I have no doubt wi-fi okay so anyway what I was saying is we basically we make food an experience and we make it fun and we don't do the like come on please take a bite we don't do the the pleading and the begging because it makes us crazy and our my kids just say no and so we yeah. just like anytime we can we just make it fun and honestly we're we're like super low-key about it so it's not like we're like oh like let's see who can crunch the loudest it's more like I crunch and I'm like oh my ear you know what I mean like I, I put on the show and I'm like hella dramatic what do you think about that like does that work I think that's great and I also think that it's a really fun way to um talk about you know different foods and just explore food um, and, and make food fun because food should be fun. You know, we were having a conversation um, the other, the other, I think it was last week actually with my daughter and we were talking about juice because yes, sometimes we have juice at dinner. Um, and we were talking about what foods have juice and she didn't even know that you could make juice out of vegetables. And, you know, we call certain things juicy. And now every time um, that's something fun that she loves to do. So, you know, big crunching or, um, you know, talking about how broccoli looks like trees or all of those things to talk about food. Any way that you can make food fun at a meal is great. Um, I think that the one thing I would caution, um, you know, when parents are using these is being okay if your kids still don't eat that food though, right? Like, right. so if you're only doing it sort of like to coerce them to eat the food at that meal, it's going to very right. quickly come out, you know, whereas if right. you're if you're just sort of doing it as an exploration or as um, a tool just, you know, to have them have a positive exposure with food, I think that's fantastic. 
Right. Because your agenda shows, right? Like, yes. your kids are super wise to that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, like it, nice try. I see you. <laughs> right. Like, if, if it's like, oh, who do you think can crunch the loudest? And they say, like, you know, oh, you're that mummy, that crunch was really loud. And you're like, do you want to take a bite of it? The minute you ask that question, yeah. like, all bets yeah, are off, yeah. right? And the next time you yeah, try like, and have that game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah. it's not so fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally hear that. And I've I have one kid who is super sensory defensive and one mm-hmm. who's like a super sensory seeker. So trying to find meals that like please both of them and entice both of them in different ways is like sure. extremely difficult, but so it goes, you know? Totally. Totally. <laughs> Love it. Okay. So is there anything else that you want to just share your passion on or share something you're thinking about or working on or anything like that with uh, the folks who listen? So many things that I'm passionate about. <laughs> Where do you even start? <laughs> um, so, I mean, the the couple of things I think that sometimes, um, especially when I'm working with with you know a lot of different kids, sometimes parents think that the, the division of responsibility can't possibly work. And I actually just had a discovery right. call with a client this morning who was like, "Oh, you know, these goals seem impossible, or doing that seems impossible." And I always encourage you know parents to just remember that feeding is a long term goal. Right. And so if our kids are four, five, six, seven, like all of the, oh, my child's never going to get in, you know, any nutrition or all of these sort of focus on nutrition. And yes, I know nutrition is my, that's a a goal for, you know, over the course of decades and like years, decades until your child is 80 years old, not tomorrow. Um, So if goals feel like they're impossible, you know, I'm always here for support or there's lots of places where you can get support. But just remembering yeah. that it's it's not impossible for, for anyone, um, but it is a long-term goal, uh, you know, just to, to be thinking about it in that way. And remembering that sort of as we just talked about exposures to new foods um, and positive, you know, ex- exposures is always something that we're going for. And remembering that we have to always take every child where they're at, right? Mm-hmm. I've worked with kids who, um, you know, the goal is just, they have to go out of the room and they have to eat in their bedroom because they don't like the smells of everybody else's food, right? right. Sometimes the goal is we're just trying to get the kids to the table, right? Right. Um, and so really like not getting caught up in, you know, I want them to eat spinach, like raw spinach by the handful, but just where is your child at and how can we slowly move them closer to where we want them to go in a way that feels comfortable for everybody? That's so important. And it's like anything, right? Like you're not going to learn to read right now you're going to learn like the letters right and then the sounds and then the blends and like all of that and for some reason we forget about that when it comes to like skill building with respect to food for sure think of it as a a skill right we're like no we all have to eat yeah but it is a skill totally and I just I actually just posted this on you know Instagram yesterday because I was talking about it with someone is like you don't learn advanced algebra in a um like in a movie theater right right you don't learn it while driving down the highway. You don't learn it while, I don't know, trying to like go for a run. The first thing we always have to focus on is how can you make small changes to the environment that we can actually, you know, have that um, supporting our kids' internal motivation to do these things before we can actually focus on skill building. And sometimes when it comes to feeding, we, we jet right to skill building, you know, right to yeah. like eating the broccoli or even for, you know, infants, right. To like, why isn't my child self-feeding when really there's right. very small changes often make uh, that are going to give us much more lasting results in terms of our kids wanting to and feeling motivated to learn. Right. Well, that's like, that's, I think, and that's a perfect place to end too, because 
motivation is the key, right? Like we can, we can coerce our kids or punish our kids mm-hmm. into eating anything we need to, because we're the grown up, And like, we could in theory do that and we could remove access to everything they love. Totally. Just totally like be real assholes, but that doesn't really help, right? No. Like that doesn't help the relationship. It doesn't help the food progression and it doesn't, it doesn't help the connection. And like the mealtime is an experience. For sure. Oh man, this has been so good. We definitely have to do this again with better connection. Totally. <laughs> I'm going to have to piecemeal this episode together. Oh but my I gosh. Will. And, um, okay. So tell everybody again, where they can find you on Instagram and other social media. So remind me again, the name of your Facebook group. It's called the busy mom's guide to feeding your family. Busy mom's guide to feeding your family. Okay. And on Instagram, it's at Ahuva, which is A-H-U-V-A-R-D, which stands for registered dietitian. Amazing. Okay. I'm going to link it in the show notes so that that's super easy for everybody. Thank you so much for chatting with me, especially with your babe. Um, Thank who's you. Been really just quiet. I know. He's, he's, good, he's right? a great assistant. Third time's a charm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Not, my third one is, is my most difficult. So, is he? you know, good, good job. Good job on that one. <laughs> um, all good though. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Science Drives Wellness Steers. It's been amazing hanging out and I am so grateful for your willingness to let me in. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a rating and share, share, share. Until next time, stay well, stay grounded, and keep letting science drive your habits while you let the pursuit of wellness and balance steer you in the right direction.